We're going to study tonight several tshuvas. We've covered these issues before, but one of these tshuvas in particular, Rebetzal Zelti's tshuva, is a kind of bridge between Lagba Omer and Shvuos. It touches on issues that we've discussed in the context of Lagba Omer and issues that we discussed in the context of Shvuos. Rebetzal Zelti was a great Talmud Chacham from the latter half of the 20th century. He was the chief rabbi in Yerushalayim at one point. He was, a, he was a tremendous Talmud Chacham. His main published sefer is called Mishnas Yavetz. It is in the form of Shalos and Shuvos, but they aren't really, many of them, most of them are not really Halacha Lamaisa. They're more like essays, Lamdus, and uh, Talmudic analysis. The Shuvah we're going to discuss tonight, I did not actually find in his Mishnas Yavetz. I found it published in the, it was published in the journal, Rabbinic Journal Noam. I may have made it into one of his farm. I couldn't find it there. But this is an actual tshuva halach lamas. I don't know if it was written to an, actual, to an actual questioner or he just decided to express his opinion. But it is an, it is an interesting tshuva dealing with a uh, common modern scenario and it touches on, touches on principles and issues which are relevant in many areas of halach. So the question of Batal Zolti has was, Bidvar HaSheela, if the ceremony of a military funeral, what is that? So he explains it to you. The placing of floral wreaths and viriot and shooting and gunshots. Bavir, shooting into the air. When they seal the, the coffin or the grave. These customs which Jews were contemplating doing they probably do them at military funerals. These are obviously not homegrown Jewish rituals. The Gemara doesn't talk about floral wreaths. The Gemara doesn't talk about uh, gun salutes. They obviously come from the non-Jewish traditions, European traditions, other, other cultures perhaps. These are obviously uh, non-Jewish, non-Jewish customs that have infiltrated, that, that, are, that, that, were, becoming, that, were, that were being assimilated into Judaism. And the question is, does this violate the, the prohibition against Chukas HaGayim? We, we read the Parashios recently, Acharemos and Kedoshim, It's one of the Averis in the Torah, the Tariag Mitzvah, so Jew is prohibited from adopting non-Jewish customs. Does it, do these prohibitions, does this prohibition prohibit the implementation of a military funeral for Jews? So, Rav Zolti, it's a long tshuva, it's about 10 pages, where he goes through all kinds of pilpul in, in the, in the, in the sugi of Chukas HaGayim. Of particular interest, though, are two central, seminal rulings on the topic, on the topic of Chukas HaGayim that he brings, on which his ruling is largely based. One is a, not a tshuva actually, one is a passage in the Ran, the commentary of the Ran, Rabbeinu Nisim to Maseches of Adazara. The other is a tshuva of the Marek. As we're going to see, both these, both these rulings, that of the Ran, that of the Marik, are both codified by the Ramah in Shulchan Aruch, and they therefore constitute normative halacha. So, in order to understand, so virtually all, virtually all literature on the topic of Chukas HaGayim revolves around a select few, a, a, a limited small group of, of precedents, and, and two, two of the most important ones are these rulings of the, the, these explanations of the Ran and the Marik. So that's what we're going to take a look at first in order to understand Rav Zolti's tshuva and some of the other tshuvas that deal with these topics. 
So the Ran is going on a Gemara Navadazara. The Gemara Navadazara mentions, the Gemara Navadazara brings a Brisa that says there was a custom that when a king died, when a king died, they used to burn his, uh, when a king died, they, they, they used to burn his clothing. They used to burn his personal effects. Sarfin al-Malachim, as part of the mourning ritual, as part of the public demonstrations of, of, of grieving, of mourning, they would burn the personal effects of kings. What did they burn? A little bit later in the Gemara, the Gemara goes on. What did they burn? Mahim sarfin al-Malachim, what would they burn? Mitasan, their beds. Klitashmishan, their vessels, their utensils, their personal effects. It says when Rabbi Gamliel Hazakin died, Unklus Hager, who was apparently in charge of the, the ceremony, one of the principal actors there, he burned Shivim Manatsuri, a fortune of 70,000 70, dinar. The Gemara says you don't burn money, you burn personal effects. It means he burned personal effects that were valued at 70,000, at, at 70 mana, which is. Uh, which, 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 I'm sorry, which, which is 7,000, not 70,000, 7,000 dinar. He burned a small fortune. Rabbi Gamliel was the Nasi. Rabbi Gamliel was a, uh, was, uh, was, was a leader and a, the, 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 the great man of his generation. So he, they burned, as part, of, as part of his funerary rites, they burned 7,000 dinars worth of, uh, worth of personal effects. So that was the custom of Sarfan al-Malachim, initially Malachim, it, it, it was applied to Rabbi Gamliel also. He wasn't strictly speaking a king, but he was a Nasi, so he was like a Melech. We discussed recently the, the tshuva, a tshuva of the Tar Lishma, of, of, uh, of widely understood to be Rabbi Yosef Chaim of Baghdad. He had a tshuva in which he discussed the, the custom that some had to burn on Lagba Omer. They used to burn clothing, they used to burn clothing on Lagba Omer. We, we saw a year or two ago, we saw that there, that there were some who objected. Rabbi Yosef Shalom Nathanson, the Shalom Eshev, objected that it was uh, Baltashchis. That's what we were discussing in our, in our recent share, as well as the question of Chukas Agayim, that, uh, that, 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 that it's not a Jewish custom. Now the Gemara said they did do it, and it was neither Baltashchis nor Chukas Agayim. So Tos explains that for Malachim it was okay. The Shalom Eshev said, yeah, okay, so for Malachim, we'll discuss presently, there was a special reason why they did this, it, it had a certain meaning, but just to burn clothing out of context, just in Lagba Umar, that makes no sense at all. But uh, we mentioned the Tarlishma says that it was a, somehow it was a covered for Bishon ben Yechai, just as it was a covered for the Melech, it was a covered for Bishon ben Yechai. We'll see soon that that analogy is a little problematic, but this is an ancient Jewish custom, they used to burn, they used to burn when a king died, they would burn his personal effects, Again, Jewish custom, whether it originated from the Jews or not, that we'll discuss soon. That, 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 that will hinge on what we discuss soon. But it was a custom that was clearly practiced thousands of years ago by the, by the Jews of many centuries ago. The Gemara mentions this custom. It says, the Brisa says, Sorfin al-Malachim, that this is permitted, and the Brisa adds, Velomi Darchei This does not constitute Darchei the ways of the Amorites, one of the indigenous peoples of Canaan, one of the seven nations of Canaan, this is not a problematic uh, practice of the Amorites. This is mutter. This is a legitimate and acceptable Jewish custom. Darchei Amari is often used in a, as roughly synonymous with Chukas Agayim, that uh, something which is prohibited as Chukas Agayim would be considered Darchei Amari. So the Bryce explicitly tells you that it is not, it is not Darchei Amari. It's mutter. It's acceptable. It's not Darchei Amari. The the Gemara then has a somewhat uh, difficult passage. We're not going to get into the finer points of the Gemara, but the Gemara then says, the, the Gemara is discussing whether burning things from Malachim, is that considered 
Chukah, is that considered uh, an idolatrous custom, a problematic custom? The Gemara says, if burning, if burning would be considered an idolatrous custom, we certainly couldn't do it. It would be prohibited, maybe it would be idolatry itself, but at the very least it would be following in the, custom of, the customs of the non-Jews. You can't do that. So the Gemara says, it must not be chukah. What exactly it means for it to be chukah or not chukah, that's what the post can discuss. We're not going to get into the, exactly what the Gemara means by this, but for our purposes, we'll just, uh, we'll just limit ourselves to the observation, the, the, the following basic observations. The Gemara says it is mutter. The Brisa rules, sarfan al-malachim, we're allowed to do this. It's not darchi amari. The Gemara raises the question of maybe it should be prohibited as chukah because of chukosem lotelechu. Maybe it's a chok and it should be prohibited because of chukosem lotelechu. The Gemara says that it is not. The, the, the Gemara says it's not. It's lav chukahi. It's not considered a chok. It's not prohibited under not entirely clear why, what the Gemara means, why it's not why it's not prohibited under the prohibition of That's basically the Gemara. So the Ran, commenting on this Gemara, the Ran and Avodazara, going on this Gemara, the Ran says, The Brisa teaches us that it's not which would fall under the prohibition of Lo Sasek Maseim, that's a Pasek and Shmos, in addition to the Psukim in Akramos and Kedoshim, Bat Lo Selch Bukhuk Sagayim, Bukhuk it also says back in Chumash Shmos, it says Lo Sasek Maseim. Why not? So the Ran explains what is the takeaway from this Gemara, what is the teaching of this Gemara? Lefish Lo Asra Torah, Ela Chuko Shalavodis Kuchavim, the Torah only prohibits things which are idolatrous. A custom to be prohibited under Chukas HaGayim, it's not enough that it be non-Jewish. It, it has to be specifically idolatrous. Chukas HaGayim, Elu Dvarim Shel Hevelu Batala, these are things that are nonsense and are meaningless, are pointless. Such things are all assumed to be pagan. A custom that has no pshat, that has no meaning, we say it's pagan. This is the this is the custom of archaeologists today. When they when when they when they uncover an old site, they say, "Oh, this looks like it was a, a, a faucet for running water. This looks like it was an account ledger." Anything they find, they have no idea what it means. They find a bizarre looking thing or a strange, mysterious inscription. They say, "Oh, maybe it had ritual significance." So anything that has no pshat that we don't know what it means, we say it doesn't make sense. Maybe it's ritual. So that's according to the Ran. That is the basic principle. That is the basic definition of kukusagayim. Things which are hevelu batala, which make no sense in a objectively make no sense, which have no pragmatic, no useful and practical significance, we say, oh, we suspect that they're avodazara. However, he says, avodvarim shaltam sharu, anything which has a rational basis, anything which has a, uh, which is meaningful and is inherently a logical thing to do, is permitted, is not included in the prohibition of kuksagayim. Says the Ran, burning the personal effects of the kings. There's a very good reason. It's, it's not a hevel batal, there's a good reason for it. We do it in honor of the king. We burn his uh, personal effects. There's a halacha, nobody else is allowed to use the king's personal effects. That's a, that, that's a way of showing respect for the king. It's a, way, it's a way of uh, acknowledging his uniqueness, his, uh, his being non-parel. Nobody else can use his personal effect, says the Ran. Burning them is a way of showing, underscoring this. Simcha pointed out, maybe you just burn them because it's practical. If you can't use them, you just burn them. Yeah, for that we could have just thrown them away maybe, but we burn them, perhaps make a big public statement. This is the king. 
he has no equal, he's the, he, he's, there's no one like him. We make a big public statement uh, as a form of mourning, as a form of uh, acknowledging his uniqueness to say, we're going to burn his clothing because he's so special, nobody else can use his clothing. And that, that is a very logical thing, the Ran says, that is not Hevelu Batala, that is, uh, th- that's not a chok, that has a, uh, that's Dvarim Shaltam, and that's what the Gemara means, that it is not Darche Amari, it's not Pukukusem Lotelechu, because it is not Hevelu Batala, it has a Tam. So again, going back to Lagva Omer, the, that's really what the Sholem says. When it comes to the king, it makes a lot of sense. We burn his things and so nobody else can use them. But Lagva Omer, what sense does it make? What sense does it make to just throw clothing into a fire? The Torah said, well, it makes sense because it's, uh, it's showing covered for Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai. All right, but how does it show covered? How, how does burning a suit show covered to him? He, he, it's not his suit. It's not, it's not the suit of a king that you're not allowed to use. So that was the argument of the skeptics of, of the Sholem Eshev, that the, this Gemara, it was covered to burn a king's personal effects. What does it have to do with throwing a pair of pants into the fire in, on, in, on the day of Rabbi Shimon, on, on Lag Baomer? All right, but this is what the Ran says. The Ran says that the reason Sarfan al-Malachim does not violate the prohibition of walking in the ways of the Gayim is because it is l'chvodan, there's a reason for it, it's not, uh, it's not an irrational, irrational, superstitious, pagan thing, it's a logical, sensible thing, and therefore it's not prohibited as chukas That is what the Ran says, and the Ramah, as we'll discuss in more detail soon, the Ramah passes like this, the Ramah, when he discusses chukas the Ran says, because it has a, you're doing it mishum kavod, to show honor to the king, or tamacher, you have some other reason. Since there's a reason, that's why it's not chuk zagayim, that's why sarfan al-malachim is mutter, that's how the Ramah paskins. That is the sheet of the Ran. The Vilna Gon disagrees. The Vilna Gon says the Ran is absolutely wrong. That's not what the Gemara says. The Gemara does not say it's mutter because it has a rational basis. The Gemara gives a different reason. The, the, the Vilna Gon is very, very strongly disagrees with the Ran. He says the Ran's whole principle is wrong and it's not Pshan of the Gemara. We'll discuss the sheet of the Gon a little bit later. But this is the Ran, and this, the sheet of the Ran is brought by the Ramah in Shulchan Aruch, and there is no, there is no real dispute of this position with the, with the one important exception of the Gon of Vilna. Poskim generally accept this Ran, this Ramah, as normative. Related to the Ran is a tshuva of the Maharik. So the Marik is a tshuva, he wasn't writing on the Gemara. The Marik was writing about a custom that scholars, physicians, people who had achieved a certain level of expertise in a certain area of chachma, of medicine, I think it was, they used to wear a special garment. A special garment, a kind of uh, you know, medical robe, a special, uh, the, the physicians would wear a special, a special garment to advertise, to, well, he's going to discuss why they wear it in the course of the tshuva, but the, the, the European physicians had this custom that they would wear some kind of special garment uh, unique to physicians. The question was, can a Jewish physician wear this garment? Does that violate Chuk Sagayim? Today, in the YU world, it's common to, it's a popular topic of debate, the, the caps and gowns at graduations. Is that Chuk it's a, it's a, you know it's, it's an unusual form of, uh, form of dress specific to graduates. I mean, today, it's, I mean, a long time ago, was, I'm sure it was used for other things. The, the, the classical scholars among us can probably uh, fill us in on, on, the, on that history and evolution of the caps and gowns. Today, it's, 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 it's worn by graduates. So the, the question, so that's very similar to the Marik. The, the, the Marik was asked a very similar question. It wasn't just at the graduation, but physicians would wear a certain garment to mark them as physicians. 
there was no there was no obvious basis for it. It wasn't like uh, it wasn't like something that helped them do surgery or anything. It wasn't it, it wasn't a it, it wasn't it didn't have you know handy utility pockets or anything. Apparently, the, there wasn't any objective reason for wearing it. It was just a garment they wore to mark them to advertise themselves as as physicians. So the question was. If a Jew were to wear that, if a Jewish physician would wear that, does he violate the prohibition of Chukas So the Marik says something very similar to the Ran. He, he explains, Chukas HaGayim cannot be, cannot be taken at face value. It doesn't mean any custom of the non-Jews. It has to be narrowed down substantially. He says, in his opinion, Chukas includes two categories. The first category, he says, is something which is Ein Tamo Nigla, something which has no obvious reason. Like the Ran said, Hevel Vashtuf, something that has no reason. That's what Chok means, he says. We showed him say, well, when the Torah uses the word Chok, so Chok means law. Eila Hachukim, Zos Chukas HaTorah. Chok means law, but specifically, we have a tradition that Chok means a law without uh, that, uh, that, that, has, that, has no, that has no easily accessible meaning. Like, like one of the songs I grew up on, and Simcha grew up on, one of the Parsha songs for Chukas. Uh, this was taught to the Jewish nation. A chok is a law with no explanation. Rashi, the Ramban, they debate whether it means that there's actually no reason or no accessible reason, but the Chachamim, who, who delve more deeply, will understand the reason. But either way, chok means that it, the reason is less obvious, certainly not obvious. Not, so that, that's what chok means here as well, the Marik says, something that does not have any obvious reason. That's what the Torah meant when it told us not to, not to walk in the ways of the non-Jews. Because if you do something bizarre that has no obvious reason, and the only reason you're possibly doing it is because they do it. It's a fashion. It's a style. He says, that looks like that you're aping the non-Jews. You want to be just like them. There's no reason for you to do this, except that you want to be like the non-Jews. Why would you do dvarim tmum? Why would you do things that make no sense like they do, he says? It's only because you want to be like the non-Jews, and that's problematic. Yes. Yeah, so, 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 so Max is pointing out that... that, that, that Except for him in our, in our tradition, why can't we... And, and we don't invest a lot of resistance to it. We just accept it. So what's the problem with accepting another one? It, it, it allows us to meet objectives that we care about. Like a yes, so, 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 so a couple of points here. So the point of doing it for Parnassah, we'll, we'll discuss, the Marik himself, as I mentioned, is going to make that point. He's going to justify wearing the doctor clothing, essentially because of, similar to what you're saying, because of Parnassah. He's, he's going to make a very similar point. Our chukim, we believe, are, are divine wisdom. So that, that, that's, a whole different, that's a whole different set, that's a whole different kettle of fish. We believe that even if we don't know the reasons for the chukim, there is divine wisdom behind it. We, we have faith in God that he commanded us things, that, 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 that do have wisdom. Again, there are some who learn that, that, that some mitzvahs, mitzvahs might just be the will of God, and that's self-justifying, but most, uh, the, the, the more conventional approach, as Amarik discusses, is that the chukim have reasons, even if we don't know what they are. But yes, the, the, doing it for an objective reason is what this tshuva and Amarik is going to be all about, so hold that thought, and well, then let, let's see what Amarik says. So he says, doing it for no reason except imitating the non-Jews, that's what the Torah prohibits. A second kind of chukim, he says, is something where... Where, where the may or may not have a reason, but it's something problematic. He says that, that there, there's something, maybe not strictly prohibited inherently, but there's something un-Jewish and problematic about the custom. It has pretzus as opposed to tznius. He doesn't mean the pretzus necessarily of women. He means it's, uh, it's vulgar and it's ostentatious. It lacks the modesty that's supposed to characterize Jews. And anava, he says, the Jews are supposed to behave with anava. 
the opposite of that is what he calls shachatz v'gava, clothing which is uh, clothing which is uh, vulgar and uh, and and showy and uh, and ostentatious. He says these things lo Yaakov. They may not be specifically prohibited uh, by by an Aveira in the Torah, but they're they're not Jewish. They're not chelak Yaakov. Eladivri Yisrael v'darkam liyos tnuim v'anavim Yerushuaretz. Jews are supposed to be refined and modest, not not to seek after the, these types of uh, these types of extravagant and, and vulgar displays of ostentation. So therefore, he says, if the if the non-Jews have a style, they have a custom which is inherently suspect. It's pritzus. It's not tzniyus. It's it's shachetz v'gava. It's not anava. Then, if we were to adopt such a custom, that's included in the prohibition of kukasagayim. He says, and even that, he says, is only us, sir, if you're doing it for the sole reason of imitating them. If you're doing it because I want to be like the Goyim, I want to adopt their customs, and it's either a, a mysterious custom that has no reason, or it's something that uh, is, is problematic and Jews shouldn't be doing, then if you do it and there's no, and, and, and there's no good reason for it, that is us, sir. Not, he says, Latoelis Yedua. If there is a concrete, specific benefit you have from wearing it, there's no is, sir. And therefore, he says... Again, that there is that that the only issue is when it's clear from the context that you're trying to imitate them, and you're doing something bizarre that makes no sense. Again, and the only reason you're doing it is because they do it. That that's something which is usher. And going back to his case, he says, "Belavishas hakapa," this garment, whatever it was. He says, "Wearing this garment, it's not usher." He says, "Why do they wear it? Why do they wear? It? Why do we wear it?" He says, "Yadua." We know why. Similar to what Max was saying, it's a simon. It's a simon that masigim b'chachma that they have accomplished. They have uh, that they have uh, excelled in this uh, in this area of wisdom, and they wear it. He says for toelas. They wear it for some benefit, either machmas kavod, as either because it brings them honor, it brings them respect, or machmas revachmaman, or because it brings them income. Because people see that he's an expert physician. And they hire them. Mandikov like Keva, someone who has who has a medical problem. Lazer Levasei. He'll say, "Oh, I, I saw that guy. He's wearing the medical coat. Uh, he, he must he must be uh, he must be an accomplished physician. I'll go to him." Hopefully, they have better ways of assessing and uh, discovering who's a good doctor than looking to see how they dress. But that's how the world works. Sometimes superficial things are are effective and and uh, and the way to get things done. Therefore, he says, "Bechiyagavna lo shayech lesser me'acher shadaver." Therefore, we can't prohibit such a thing because you're not doing it to imitate them. You're doing it to, uh, for a good reason. And even they only did it for a good reason. They also, they're not doing it for superstitious reasons or for pagan, irrational reasons. They're doing it for the same reason. They're doing it They're doing it again for, for their honor and for their benefit. Therefore, the Marik says there is no prohibition. So yes, exactly the point, very similar to what Max was saying, that as long as there's a reason to, to do it, it's fine. If your sole reason is to copy the non-Jews in an irrational or problematic style, that's a problem. Again, how that would apply to a lot of styles of today, people wear all kinds of styles, some of them are aesthetically appealing, some of them are, you find them attractive, some of them are just bizarre, if they wouldn't be style. Again, I, I'm not really much, I'm not really a very stylish person, so I, I may not fully understand the, the pull of style, but it's, yeah, I think it's hard to untangle it. How much of a style is just because I want to be like everyone else, and how much is I actually think it looks uh, aesthetically appealing? You know, kids especially, teenagers, they, 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 they want to be just like everyone else in the class. 
I, it's hard to imagine that that's something that everyone found was uh, was stunning and gorgeous last year. This year is uh, this year looks uh, dorky and nebby, or whatever they, whatever the kids say today. And something that was that that was ridiculous last year suddenly is appealing this year. It seems there is a certain element of just wanting to be like everyone else. And if you do that with a style that was imported from the non-Jews, that could potentially be a problem. That being said, certainly among Ashkenazim, non-Hasidim. We do routinely wear styles of the non-Jews. The suits are longer this year, or shorter, or double-breasted, or single-breasted, or cut like this. The hat brims are, lar- are, are, are larger and smaller, and the pinches go like this or like that. The hemlines, whatever the, whatever the, the women's styles do. So again, it's, it's a fascinating question to try to untangle what aspects of these uh, changing winds of fashion are considered letoeles, because they, they actually, you like the way they look, and what aspects are just... I want to be like the trendsetters. Today we call them influencers. They, they used to call them, I don't know, they used to call them you know, the royalty. They, everyone wanted to wear what the duchess wore or what the, what the baroness wore. Today we want to wear what, uh, what influencers wear, what, what celebrities wear. Okay, so I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure when it comes to fashion, it's a particularly thorny topic where we draw the line. What's called, uh, both for men and women, what's called, I like it inherently, it's objectively appealing to me. What's called, I just want to be like the non-Jews. I'll call upon him. This is the basic holding of the Marik, which is very similar to the Ran. Minhagim that have reasons, that have objective reasons, are fine. Covered for the Melech, by, by showing that, that he has no equal. A way of uh, showing off that you're, uh, that you're an accomplished physician, to make money, to be shown respect. Those are all valid reasons. And therefore, even if, even if the custom inherently doesn't have any, any objective purpose, if it has a social purpose, if it has some kind of... If it has some kind of useful meaning in the context of society to show respect, to advertise, that's fine. It's only a custom which is either superstitious and hevel and batala and shtus and has no meaning or something which is inherently problematic. It lacks the, the refinement and the, the decorousness of, uh, of, of Jewish midas. Those are the things, according to the American Iran, that are problems. And as I said, the Ramah brings both these chuvas. He says that the custom is only things that the Gayim do for preachers to wear certain red clothing, particularly uh, vulgar clothing that, that, that the ministers wear. That's, it's a kind of you know, wearing royal clothing. It's showy and ostentatious, and it's, it's un-Jewish. Malbushe pritzus. Or, he says, things that have no tam. So, things that have no tam, like the Marik says, those are... Uh, that we have to be choshesh and there's a shemetzim of a the, the Marik, as far as I read, the, the Marik seemed to say that the problem with things that have no reason is because if there's no reason, then your whole reason is because you want to copy the non-Jews, which is problematic. Ramah seems to bring it as saying, if there's no reason, we suspect that the real reason is of Odizara. But either way, things that have no reason, no, no clear reason, objectively no reason, we can't provide any coherent reason for them, that's Chuk Sagayim. Things that, are, that lack Tznius, that are Shachat Vigava and Pritzus, that's Chuk Sagayim. However, he says, something which is done for, for, for some benefit, for some concrete purpose. For example, anyone who's an expert physician wears a, a unique special garment by which he is identified as a physician, is an expert physician, mutter, that's called a toalis. And anything you do for covered or for any other reason is mutter, and that's the ran also, that you can burn things for the malachim. So this is the shita of the ran, the marik, the ramah, post can bring the rivash, has a similar view. This is the shita that that chukas agayim hamori is limited to things that have no reason, not even a social reason, that are just arbitrary, superstitious, pagan, unJewish, problematic. But anything that has a meaning, even a social meaning, 
as long as you can explain rationally and coherently what the meaning is, it's not a problem of chuksagai. And as I said before, this is the opinion of most poskim, Likra Din, and returning to Rav Zolti in his tshuva, after several pages of Pilpul and the sugya of Chuksagayim, he brings this ran, he brings the fact that the Gaon of Vilna disagrees, he discusses and he, he defends, the, again, the, 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 the questions of the Vilna Gaon are largely technical, based on a careful reading of the Gemara of Adizara. we're not going to get into the details of their disagreement, Rav Zolti defends Rama against the, against the questions of the Gra, and therefore Rav Zolti's conclusion is, he says, we have, we have, re, we have reconciled the Rama. He says that the, the, the Isra is only if, it's, if there's no tam, if it's, if it's irrational, there's no reason for it, or choshesh for avodazara, or shachatz, or pritzis, but, uh, but, but, but that's it. Therefore, after about 8-10 pages of analysis, he brings the Ramah, and he says, Rav Zolti's conclusion is, Again, the question was a military funeral, firing, uh, firing guns, laying wreaths. He says, there is basis to allow it. Levayat even though it's Chuksagayim, it's certainly a custom that came from the non-Jews, but it's not a Chokshlava de Zara, it's not pagan, it's not idolatrous, it's a Noheg Tzvayi, it's a military custom, and they do it for covered Ames, to show honor to the Mace, to, to, to give him respect for serving his country, and anything you do for covered, we, we said, the Ramah says, is mutter, based on the Marik and the Ran, anything you do for covered, like Sarf and Alam is mutter. In particular, he says, because even those who take a broader definition of Chuksagayim, they, they still agree that if it's not Fravo Dazari, even if it's Asr, even if we extend it, like to the superstitious cases or other cases, that's not Daraisa. Daraisa is only if it has an element of idolatry. But if it is, but, but if it's not Avodazara, it's at worst Drabanan. And there is also a Shita that says, that, uh, Hagos Hamania says, that Chuksagayim is limited, Darche Mari is limited to the enumerated examples in the Gemara. The Gemara gives various examples which are prohibited, Agosimanios has a very, very narrow view that, it's, that the prohibition only applies to the specific enumerated examples of the Talmud. Most postmen don't go like that. But Be'eker, Be'eker Yisalmecha and the Ran of the Marik, that anything that you do for a, for a rational, coherent reason is not, even if you got it from the non-Jews, is not Chuksagayim. You have these other Sfaras as well, that it's uh, at worst Drabanan if it's not idolatry, and it's, in any way, it's not enumerated by Chazal. So Mikra Dini says you can be Samechan the Ramah following the Marik, following the Ran, that it is Mutter. However, Abzolti turns around in the last line, the very, very end of the Chuva, he says, Since the Gaon of Vilna adopts a remarkably stringent view, the Gaon of Vilna does not like the Ran, does not like the Marik, does not like the Ramah, the Gaon of Vilna says we have to adopt a much broader definition of Chukzagayim that anything that uh, we wouldn't do if not for the fact that the Goyim did it. Again, things that make so much sense, we would do them anyway, like the non-Jews invented cars. So, I mean, yeah, we, yeah, it's true. We learned how to make cars from the non-Jews. We buy them from the non-Jews. But there's nothing Goyish about it. I mean, if someone tells me how to make a car, a car is, in, a car is immensely useful. Everyone agrees that's much. Rav Asher Weiss makes this point. You're eating with forks. Not all cultures in the world use forks, but we eat with forks because it's a fork is a useful thing to eat with. So that's certainly not austere. Using, uh, using things which are purely uh, utilitarian, which are functional and useful, is certainly not chuksagayim. The gaon is machmer, that things which we wouldn't do if not for the fact that we saw the gaon do it, even if it has, again, he seems to be talking about the, what I keep calling these social things, things that are not objectively useful, but we do it because it is a, a cultural thing that came from the gaon, even if the cultural thing is useful for parnasa or for, uh, for covered and so on, if it came from the Goyim, it's Asr, unless it's what he calls Kosov Baraisa, unless it's mentioned in the Pasuk, 
with regard to Sarfan al Malachim, that's part of the Gon's problem. The, Gon, the Gemara goes on and says there's actually biblical precedent for burning things for the kings. It says that the it says that the that when the Gemara goes on and discusses the custom of Sarfan al Malachim, so the Gemara says it says in Yirmiyah, B'shalom Tamos of a Misrafos of Asecha Malachim that 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 they, the, the Navi prophecies Yirmiyah prophecies about King Tzidkiyahu that he will die in peace, he won't be killed in war, and they'll burn him where they burn uh, where they burn his fathers. Where the Gemara seems to think that means that it means they burned his personal effects. So that 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 has the Gon says that has precedent. The reason that's not Asur is because is because it's mentioned in the Torah. We showed him say that Ksiv Baraisa it has a source. Because the Pasuk says that there's, there's already biblical precedent for it. But the fact that it was rational, the Gon says, is not enough of a reason. If it came from the Gayim, unless we found biblical precedent for it, it would not be Mutter, even if it's rational. A cultural custom that, origin, a cultural custom that originates from the Gayim would not be Mutter, even if it has some kind of rational social basis. This is different because, uh, this is different because it was actually mentioned in the Pasuk. Parenthetically, I note that this Pasuk in Yermia, that it says that they would burn Tzidkiah in the burnings, in the pyres of his, of his ancestors, the kings, there, is, there are some who understand this refers to cremation. There are some who understand this refers to either embalming or cremation. Cremation uses chemicals to you know, burn away or to do things to some of the tissue of the body. There are actually some Rishonim who seem to understand that this refers to a, some kind of cremation process, just like Yaakov and Yosef were, created, were cremated and were, were embalmed in Egypt that they used to do this to the kings in Judah as well. Topic for another day. But the Gemara seems to understand that it refers to the, 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 the custom it's discussing of burning the personal effects of the king. So the, Gon, the Vilna Gon says it's only because it's mentioned in Tanakh. If it wouldn't be, it would be Usr because it came from the Goyim, even if it has a rational basis, a cultural custom with a rational basis is Usr. But Lamaiser, so Vital Zelti says, on the one hand, the Iker Lahalacha, we have the Ramah. On the other hand, he says... We do have this Vilna Gon. The Gon is much stricter. The Gon says we cannot simply adopt customs of the Goyim unless they have biblical precedent, biblical mention. Anything we wouldn't do if not for the fact that they did it is Usr. It's Chukas HaGoyim. Says Rav Zolti, the final words of his tshuva, Imkain Teches Shalavayat the ceremony of a military funeral, Bevaday Usr Mishmu Chukas according to the Gon, it's Vaday Usr. And Rav Zolti says that we should be Choshech for the Gon, we should avoid... To, to the extent that we can, we should avoid we should avoid performing military funerals, even though according to the Ramah and the Marik and the Ran, it's Mutter, but according to the Gon, it's Asr. Yes. Hi, it's it's Aaron. Yes. Just a question about the process by which this is happening. So you have the Gon of and he disagrees with multiple Rishonim, all of whom you just mentioned. So from the process of making halachic decisions where you're looking at various uh, stature and from different eras, what standing, why would anybody be allowed to, I mean, the, obviously the Gona Vilna can say what he wants, but why would anybody just think that they can go with the Gona Vilna when it doesn't sound like he's using any other Rishon for precedent or possibly even from the Gemara, that, and, and then that, that, that somehow he can then be used to go against all these other Rishonim in terms of this military funeral decision? So that's, that's an excellent point, and that's really where I was going to go next. That is, the, that is the surprising aspect of Rav Zolti's tshuva. Certainly in the, in the Lithuanian, Ashkenazic, Halachic tradition, the Gon carries enormous weight, but it's very, it is unusual for the Gon to simply disagree with Rishonim without, 
without uh, simply choosing between Rishonim. The Gon was independent-minded. He was a towering figure, and some of his supporters famously said that in stature he was equivalent to some of the, some of the Rishonim. But it, it is unusual. In 90, I don't have exact numbers, but in, in, in my general sense, in 90%, 95% of cases where the Gon takes a position, he's simply, uh, he's simply deciding between between uh, be, be, be deciding between uh, different views of Rishonim. This, as you said, you, 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 you hit the nail on the head, I think you're exactly right. The Gon doesn't really bring Rishonim who disagree. The, the, the Gon just, he brings, he brings Tosus. He, he, I think he does try to argue that the way some of the Rishonim learned the Gemara was, was different, but, but he doesn't really bring anyone who directly says, Halacha Lemaisa, that the Rana Lemarik are wrong. Nevertheless, he feels that their readings of the Gemara are untenable. He feels that the, the, the Gona, in this case, this is one of the relatively uncommon cases where the Gona is just feels that the that that a, a a proper reading of the Talmud is just so is just so compelling against what they said that, that he disagrees. Now, your question, Aaron's question, really is twofold. First of all, would the Gona really do that without support? Second, even if he does, where does that leave us? How much weight should we place on the Gona? If he's if he's challenging several of the Gedolei Rishonim, the the the, the Ran, the Marik that we saw, also a Rivash, and a Rama, the Rama Bnei Yisrael Yotzim Biyad Rama, the Rama is one of the Akronim do disagree with the Rama, especially the early Akronim, but the Rama wasn't challenged by the Shach or the Taz or the or any of the early Poskim until the Gon. Nobody really challenges Rama, and yes, and, and it's a tremendous Chiddush. A what the Gon does here is a tremendous Chiddush, and B. The idea that we should be machmer for the gun, we should be choshish for the gun, is also a tremendous chiddush, and that is what the Rabbi Chil Yaakov Weinberg in the Sri Deish, he was not happy with Rabbi Sal Zelti. I only, I only have a short excerpt of his tshuva in the handout, but he, he writes there. He wants to be. He wants to comment on what Rabbi Sal Zelti said. He says it's against the Rivash, which is the Rivash is similar to the Ran and the Marik, and he says the gun himself. Only prohibited it when you're trying to learn from them. He understands when. when, when I'm not sure exactly uh, what that means, but he says it's only when you're trying to learn from them. When, when we do a mil- military funeral, he says we're not learning from them. We do it. He says the way the way, the way Rav Weinberg explains, we do it. We do it to avoid being laughed at, being sneered at as uh, as being barbarians. If we don't do military funerals, it's simply defensive. It's not because we genuinely. Uh, that's how Rav Weinberg understands. At least uh, we do it simply uh, uh, to save face. We don't want to be looked at as uncivilized. So he says that is a perfectly good reason, even according to the Vilna Gon, he says he would agree if that's why we're doing it. Back to what Max was saying before, about if you do it for a, a concrete and logical reason. Again, in the case of the Marik, they were also doing it for a good reason. They were doing it because they wanted to uh, advertise their, their status as expert physicians. That, the Gon said, was usser. Somehow, Rav Weinberg is machalic between Limud and between Shloy Yisgana. That's Mutter. Ladati, he concludes, Hifriz Hagon Hanal Alamida. He thinks Rav Zolti is going much too far, and there's no cause of being so strict. And therefore, uh, he, he thinks that, again, exactly as Aaron said, the way you pass in Halacha, he says, is if it's the Gon against Gedoli Harishonim and the Ramah, and uh, that's what we do. And indeed, many other posts can take this position as well. Ravavadi Yosef. I don't have his chuvas in the handout, but Ravadi Yosef has two major chuvas, maybe more than two, but at least two chuvas on Chukas Agayim. One was about not military funerals, but laying wreaths on, on, on graves, on caskets in general. One was about mourners wearing black, which was an European custom. So both these things Ravadi defends largely on the same grounds. The ground, first of all, he, he argues there are some, some precedents in Arab Misera itself for wearing black, but beyond that, he says, especially in the chuva on the wreaths, he says, 
they're doing it for cover. They're doing it to show cover to the mace. He says, what's wrong with that? He says, the halach is like the marik, the halach is like the ran, even though, the, even though these are Ashkenazim, even though the Ramah is an Ashkenazim, Machaber doesn't bring this, but uh, the Ravadia says, that is the Ikra Din. He brings numerous Akronim, who accept, numerous Akronim, who accepted the marik and the, and the ran as, as the Rivash, as, as Ikra Lahalacha, that anything which has a rational basis, even if it's not objectively useful, even if we got it from the Goyim, is fine. And therefore, the Ravadia allows these things, and he brings numerous precedents for other poskim who allowed these things on the grounds that there's no iser as, as long as you're doing it for a rational reason. He points out in the Chuva on the Wreaths, as I recall, he says, if possible, we should explain to the Avelim that as Jews we have our own traditions, there's no need to do things the way the Goyim do it, we have many of our own uh, beautiful, authentic traditions, and there's no need to dafka do what the Goyim do, but he says it's a, it's a difficult time, They're, they may not be able to listen to that kind of argument at this time, if they really want it, he says, you don't have to stop them, he says, it's mutter mi radin. there's no need to object, because the halacha is like the marik and the ran, and so on, and that's the position of many, many Akronim. That, that's, that's essentially the Sudeish's objection to, to the Rebetzal Zolti. There is, however, one other prominent contemporary authority who, who takes a position very similar to that of Rav Zolti, and that is Rav Asher Weiss. Rav Asher Weiss is no extremist. Rav Asher Weiss is an uh, uh, incredibly thoughtful and sophisticated moderate thinker. But nevertheless, in this particular issue, he feels very strongly about it. He has an essay, a tshuva on Chuk Sagayim. He goes through all the different shitas and so on. And he says, despite the fact that he's fully aware that many poskim say it's not a problem if you're doing it for a rational basis, nevertheless, like Rav Zolti, at the end, very end of his discussion, he comes around with a very stringent perspective. He says, even in later generations, I want, to, uh, I want to take this moment, he says, to point out the minag of those who are... Uh, those lost sheep of Israel, he says, were adopting non-Jewish customs. They put floral wreaths on Jewish graves. Even though, according to the Ramah, as Rav Zolti concedes, according to the Ramah, there's no Avera, he says, because it's tam v'svara b'masazeh, because it makes sense, it's covered for the mace. However, he says, but you have the Gra. The Gra says it doesn't matter. The Gra says that it's an Isidaraisa, even if you do do it for a rational reason, for cover. Pshita, he says, minag ze'ein roi, this is an inappropriate minag, it's not the cover of the mace to, to, uh, to adorn him with Menhage Gayim. It's wrong, he says, you, sh- you should be choshesh for the gon. It's un-Jewish, he says, and don't do it. He gives a few other examples, he's, uh, things you shouldn't do, which again, even though they might be mutter according to the Ramah, are inappropriate and wrong according to the Gra and are un-Jewish. He says, putting up different types of monuments for those who fell in battle and so on, he says. We don't do that, he says. It's not, it's not the Jewish custom to erect monuments, cenotaphs for... Uh, for, 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 the, for those who fall. Even though Yad Abshalom, he says, Abshalom made some kind of monument himself, he says. Who said he was right? Abshalom was not, uh, Abshalom was not uh, always a figure to be admired. He says, it's Minag Nachrim, he says. So who said, uh, that's not right. He says, Yad Abshalom, it's in the Bible, yes. Not, not, the Bible is full of uh, terrible things. Similarly, he says, and this is a controversial one, similarly, he says, Amidas Dom, moments of silence, he says. They do this in Israel, on, uh, I think on some of the, some of the recent holidays, the, the, the Yom HaZikaron and so on. Moments of silence, he says, stopping and being silent. He says, It's potentially a biblical prohibition, a violation of a biblical prohibition, according to Adonainu Hagra, What Rav Weiss thinks you should do, whether it's worth antagonizing your, your Israeli countrymen and making a chil Hashem and uh, causing machlokas, I don't, I don't know if he would say that. Rav Asher is not the type to do that. 
But in principle, at least, all else being equal, Rav Asher feels that moments of silence are problematic. Very similar to Rav Zalti. All these types of things are un-Jewish, and according, even though according to the Ramah, they're clearly mutter, because there's certainly a, a tam and a svara for it, he says. But Mikra din is makam lahakel. However, he says, you have the gra, that it's nisra daraisa, it's un-Jewish, you should be machmer. And this is, this is the position of Rav Weiss and Rav Zalti. Again, you know, Aaron's point uh, is transient. Why so strict? Why, be, why do you have to be machmer for the gra against uh, Ramah? And the Yotzim biyad Ramah. And the, the, the Rivash, and the Ran, and the Marik. I don't know, but this is the position of both Rav Zolti and, uh, and Rav Weiss. Then, even though Meikra didn't, it's mutter. The Ramah would say it's mutter, you should be machmer for the gun. However, I mentioned earlier, Rav Avadia is, is lenient about such things. Meikra didn't, he's, he's lenient. And I found his son, in Yonadiyama, his son has an interesting discussion, also where he, based on a similar, a similar perspective to that of his father, he allows military funerals. Rav Yitzhak Yosef discusses another custom, which we've discussed previously. That is the custom of flowers and trees and greenery in the shuls and homes on Shavuos. The basic idea of having flowers and greenery is an ancient custom. It goes back at least 500 years or so to the time of the Ramah. The custom of trees specifically might be a little more recent. It's mentioned by the Magen of Ram about 300 years ago. But so these were old customs. Along came the Gona Vilna. This is not in the Bir Hagra, but this is in things brought from his Talmidim, the Chayadim, the Chachmatadim mentions it, and the Maserav, the Gon's followers recorded that the Gon was very opposed to the minog of trees in the shul. He said it's Chukus Agayim. What's Chukus Agayim? Which, which, which Gentile holiday involves trees? So, when I was young, I first thought Christmas. Christmas involves a tree. When I got older, I realized that the Gon was not referring to Christmas. The Gon was referring to the holiday of Fingston. That the, the Pentecost, the 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 Christians have a holiday called Pentecost. Penta is fifty. It's fifty days after after Easter or so. It's, it's very it's very similar to Shavuos. It falls out around the same time as Shavuos. And in certain Eastern Orthodox Christian denominations, they have a custom that they bring greenery and trees and things into the synagogue on this on, uh, the churches on this holiday. That's obviously what the Gon was referring to, that around this time of the year, around the time of Shavuos, Dafka then, the Christians had a custom, the, the Russian Christians and so on, had a custom to bring, to bring trees and things into the, into the churches, and therefore the Gon felt that it was Chukas HaGayim to, uh, to do this. Now, many Litvish poskim actually follow this growth, or HaShulchan or Moshe Feinstein, many of the great Lithuanian poskim, poskim who we typically place a lot of... Uh, a lot of reliance on, actually follow the gun and say, it's not entirely clear if the gun was opposed just to trees or even to flowers and greenery in general. Some versions of the grass say trees he was opposed to. Some say he was opposed to anything green in the, in the, in the and any, anything in the, anything in the, in the shuls. The minute today, of course, it is quite widespread, is that we still do follow the custom. Not trees, I don't think we do trees that much, but the minute today is that we do have flowers and greenery in the shuls. And already in the time of the Gon, already shortly after the Gon, in the 19th century, we already find Gedolei Torah who were debating the Gon and, and debating this, this, this objection of Chukz And many of the posts who defended it, defended it on the grounds that the, as a rational basis, the, there are various madrashim, various explanations for why we, have, why we do it, even why they do it. The, 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 even why they do it. There's not necessarily any Christological significance. There's an incredible passage in the Sefer, Divrei uh, Shol Yosef Das, commentary to Yeridea by Rav Yosef Shol Nathanson, the great uh, the, the great Rabbi of Lvov, 
from the, from the 19th century, one of the towering poskim of that time. He also argues that the basic halacha, the halacha follows the view of the Marik and the Ran and the Ramah, that anything that has a rational basis is fine. So when he discusses the question of greenery on Shavuos, he doesn't discuss it so much as to whether we have a rational basis based on the various Midrashim. Midrashim say either it was because Arsini had grass, that's why the animals have to be stopped from grazing, or we just have it in honor of Yantif, we, make, uh, we, we just have pretty things in honor of Yantif. Or the Magad Avram says we have trees because because Shavuos is is the din for uh, the din I think for for for, for Ilanus. but the be that as it may the the Shalomeshiv, the way he looks at it the Iker question is why do the Christians do it if the Christians do it for some Christian religious meaning maybe we shouldn't do it that's Chukzagayim but if they don't do it for that he says and it's fine so he says he had he had people ask uh, some elder in the church and he had them ask some senior person in the church. Tell us, why do you have, why do you bring uh, vegetation into your churches on Pentecost? And the answer he, re- he, re- he received was, we do it in honor of the holiday. It's just, it's spring, we have green stuff growing, it's just uh, the Roman base Okenu, so to speak, Lahavdil. We just do it as a, as, a, as, 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 a, as a way of celebration, as a way of joy. Says the show, Lameshev, so there's nothing Christian about it. It's, a, it's, it's simply a uh, logical and rational thing they do. And it's a little bit of a chiddush. Even though they do it in the context of religious worship, it doesn't matter. If, if they have a custom which is, which is rational and logical and not inherently idolatrous, not inherently Christian, there's nothing wrong with repurposing that custom and using it in Judaism as well. And that's one way or another. That's the dominant position. That's why we have... The, that, that is why, except maybe for some people who still follow the Grah, that's why I think the, the, the dominant custom today is we do follow, we do follow this minog of having greenery in the shuls Again, whether, whether the gun meant that we actually got it from the Christians, we just meant we should stop even if we had it first because the Christians are doing it, not entirely clear if the gun was making a historical claim or, or not. But be that as it may, the, the halacha, once again, follows the, follows the position Mikra Din. People point out the Grah is Lashitase. The Grah has a much stricter view of Hukzagayim. The Grah says even if it has a rational basis, it's us, sir, at least if we got it from them. I don't know if the gun actually thought that we got the greenery in the Shul on Shavu is from the Christians of Pentecost, but either way, the Gon does not accept the Marik. The, the, the Shalmeshev says, we do accept the Marik. The Norman of Halacha accepts the Marik, accepts the Ran, that anything that has a rational basis is unquestionably mutter. The Gon was, was strict, and it seems very likely the Gon, had, in general, had a much stricter view of Chukas HaGayim. But returning to Rav Yitzhak Yosef, Rav Yitzhak Yosef says, he brings this whole debate, he says that the Chayadim brings, the Chokmasadim brings, that the Gon abolished the custom because of Chukas HaGayim, but you have the Marik, he says. Anything that has a rational basis is fine. And it's, it's not Gaiva, it's not Priestess, he says. You have the Ran, you have the Rivash, the Ramah Paskins this way, other posts can Paskin this way. And according to that, it's fine, he says. It, it, it even has a source in the Midrash, it's done for the... It's done for the he, he focuses on the fact that we have a good reason for it, it's done for in honor of Shavuos, he says. And then, he says, he goes back to the question of Rav Zolti, he says, or Russia Weiss and Rav Zolti, he says, and the same logic, the same logic that, that applies to having greenery in the Shul on Shavuos, the same logic applies, he says, when we, when we want to perform a military funeral. He says, we, we shoot guns, he says, in honor of the, in honor of the soldier who was killed. There's no Isra of Chukas HaGayim. Tam Vesvar he says. There's a reason for it. It's not a chok, he says. That's not Chukas HaGayim. Similarly, he says, the siren. When, the, when, when, they, when they blast the siren for the, those who were killed in the Shoah, he says those who were killed in Marachot Yisrael, those who were killed in the, 
in the, in the line of duty, fighting for Israel, he says, there's no history, he says, it has a seba, these are logical reasons to show respect, to remember, to, to contemplate this, he says, that's fine, you just want to remember the fallen, he says, Matov, he says, it's good, it, it would be good to, to, to inject a little more of a Jewish content, it, he says, they should say Tehillim, he says, uh, we, we, should, we should have Jewish versions of it, he says, but anything that has a Tammuz Svar is not just a Chok, Lahalachi, he says, Following, echoing his father, following the Marik, he says, Beisosia brings it, the Ramah, Mari Kash, Rabbi Yaakov Castro, a contemporary of the Ramah, an early leading uh, Svardik Posek. There's no Isra of Kuksagayim. He brings the Shalom Eshev about, the, about the defending the custom of the greenery on Shavuos and the Marsham. And uh, he says, yeah, you have the Gon. He said, the Gon is Lashitase. The Gon, the Gon disagrees with the Ran and disagrees with the Marik and disagrees with the Rivash, he says. And he says that, it, that, that it's Usser. But we don't pass him like that, he says. We pass him like the Beis Yosef and the Marit Ramah and Rabbi Yaakov Castro and the Ksav Sofer and the Maram Shik and the Imreyesh, he says, and so on and so on. And the Rabbi Yosef and the Ramah and all the Akronim all say that's the Halacha. He says, so what's the problem, he says, that, the, that, that it's fine, he says, and, uh, and, and it's Mutter. And that's, again, that's the dominant position. Again, why exactly Rav Zolti and Rav Weiss were so, were so relatively strict about the military funerals? And the, I guess they felt there's no need for it. I guess they felt that there's no real reason for it. We have our own traditions of funerals. We've been doing the, the, these things for hundreds of years. We should be proud of our own minhagim. There's no need to dafka import things from the Goyim. Um, there's no need to dafka change our own minhagim to copy those of the Goyim. Even Rav Avadia says, it, it, if we can tell the Avelim, Gently uh, with tact, we could tell them that there's no need to start importing non-Jewish customs. That would be an improvement, he says. But again, what, what would Rav Asher say if, if, if you're if if a, if a Jewish person, if, if a religious person is in the society of irreligious people, and if he doesn't respect the siren or the moment of silence, they, they'll be a cause machlokus and chil Hashem. I don't know if he would be so machmer, but but at least Rav Asher and Rabbi Salazolti said that insofar as these are our rituals, we control them and we decide what to do. It's appropriate to be choshish for the grah. It's appropriate to do things to do things our way. We have our own minhagim, but uh, I don't know if they would disagree about shavuos. Shavuos, I assume they, they they would accept the minhag. Perhaps that's an actual Jewish minhag. But here, there's no minhag. There's no Jewish minhag to have a military funeral. There's no need to to adopt non-Jewish customs. And they felt, at least in these cases of the monuments and the moments of silence and the and the military funerals, they felt it would be better to be choshish for the grah to stick to Jewish customs and not to be in such a hurry. To import non-Jewish non-Jewish customs into into Jewish ritual events.